1: Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. It's March 26th and joining me as usual is David Leach from ITK Services. David, how are you?
2: Uh, I'm very well, Giles. We've got uh, a great guest today and also uh, a a few other things to talk about.
1: Well, indeed, Um, energy came back to the front pages of the newspapers this week. Thanks mostly to the new draft rules proposed for rooftop solar the imposition of a solar tax on the exports from solar households back into the grid. Um, I have to say, I have never seen the um, industry so divided about an issue as this. But um, let's just listen to the interview that we recorded on Thursday with the Chief Executive of the Australian Energy Market Commission, Ben Barr. Ben Barr,
3: thank you very much for joining the Energy Insiders podcast.
4: Thanks for having me, Giles. Good to be here.
3: Four years ago, the Australian Energy Market Commission said that it had dropped proposals to introduce um, what's described as a solar tax and essentially tariff on exports back into the grid. Now you've come back with another proposal for um, solar exports. What's changed?
4: Uh, So, you know, I think this is a package of reforms. I think that's the important thing. And so, uh, you know, what's changed is ARENA actually ran a consultative process Uh, with industry and consumer groups like uh, Strand Council of Social Services, St Vincent de Paul, uh, Total Environment Centre. And that was looking at, you know, how should the grid evolve over time? And so out of that process came uh, a couple of rule changes, looking at uh, how people should access the grid. Um, Is it fair and equitable the way it's set up at the moment? Uh, And uh, should there be incentives uh, and potentially charges for customers about when uh, their power is needed uh, into the grid, so that, that's what's changed in that time. And so uh, we've had a consult paper out since last year on this, and the draft determinations come out today on uh, the twenty fifth of March. The issue
3: is about sort of the cost of um, the cost of the networks of accommodating this amount of solar PV and the exports back into the grid. But even the people who support this proposal say that the, um, the cost of that to upgrades that are sort of considered to be needed are only about 1% of the total cost of the networks. Don't the networks already earn enough money? And don't some consumers actually already pay enough network um, network fees? I myself, I'm living in um, regional New South Wales. I'm paying nearly $2 a day for my network connection. I call down just four kilowatt hours from the grid. Um, now I'm going to be asked to pay more. Um, isn't there a um, shouldn't the networks just sort of pay for just to, uh, you know, for the transition? I
4: don't. I don't think you'll necessarily be asked to pay for more. I think that's like you know maybe that's something that's getting lost uh, so far. Is you know this package of reforms does a couple of things. So one, this, there's there's no reason currently in the regulatory framework for networks to invest in more capacity to get solar PV on. And so that's what this reform does at a headline. It actually changes that and says, actually, in the regulatory framework, there is an incentive for you around the service, you know, whether it's good service or not so good service, and you can be held to account for that. And then it gives them some options around, uh, you know, what we see is coming up with a package of different options depending on, you know, how you export into the grid. And uh, you know, really, we don't see it as a blanket kind of one size fits all approach. And uh, we would see them coming up with different incentives where you know some solar customers should get a benefit from this. And uh, it's it's also not going to happen overnight. Like the the regulator will need uh, all poles and wires businesses to sign off on what's the transition plan to this? And then they need to go out and consult on any change with consumer groups uh, and retailers uh, to make sure they get it right, and then those changes need to get signed off by the regulator as well. Sounds like another
3: lengthy regulatory process will be, um, and this time affecting um, individual households. How's that can be managed.
4: But, you know, I think we want to take the community with us on this reform. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to drop it uh, on the mobile night. And the other thing is, the network's different. You know, this, Giles, it's different all across Australia. So some parts of the network have got good capacity for solar PV, other parts don't. And, you know, I think what we found is networks are responding to that by. Uh, just limiting people who are trying to connect with solar PV. So if you've got on early, that's great. But we saw reports uh, a couple of weeks ago in Victoria where, uh, you know, 2,000 out of um, you know, 30,000 customers over the last 18 months who connected their solar PV systems got told uh, you can't export anything at all. And that that really impacts hard on, on that household, uh, far more than what we see is, you know, giving some options to send a signal when the energy is needed you know, so, we don't see see that as it's going to be a big impost and you've got flexibility about whether whether you uh, move your energy around
3: so i'm, I'm sorry to hold the microphone Dave. i'll let you have a mixed question but just to follow on just from that one so what you're suggesting then might be some sort of vocational pricing so people in parts of the network that do need the upgrade might be paying more than people in parts of the network elsewhere
4: I't I don't think we're going, I don't think we're saying it's locational pricing. What we're saying is ne- networks need to go out and talk to the community about what sort of options uh, work best. And so you know we haven't said what the reform's going to look like. we're not doing we're not doing tariff design, uh, uh, and we want you know each individual network in each states and territories to go out and think about what works best. And so you know we have we have spoken to them, and there'd be things like, actually, maybe you don't want to charge at all. And so uh, that means you don't have to pay it, but you can't guarantee you're going to get your solar uh, exports into the grid at all times, as opposed to somebody who says, "Look, I'll have that I'll have that charge because I can move around my energy and I want I want to know I can get you know my ten kilowatts into the grid at all times.
2: So I, I might just point out that the network's customers are the retailers, and uh, that's one of the problems that I see very broadly. About the whole way that the system is set up at the moment, that the networks are set up to be think of themselves as regulated monopolies and not as uh, community aggregators uh, and distributors uh, of power. But Ben, I wanted to ask, I mean, uh, I could ask this question in a lot of ways, but I just um, you know you've got a, there's a new chair at the aemc and and, and you're a relatively new chief executive. And it seems to me that very, very, very broadly, there's been a range of stakeholders that would like or haven't been happy with the way the AEMC's rules have worked out. And, and I talk about state governments here because a number of them are sort of doing their own thing in derogations in New South Wales and Victoria and even South Australia. I guess that the very pointy end is around transmission. But I just uh, there's also a huge group of people that would like the amc to be thinking about carbon and and i appreciate your, your government agency not a policy setter, but i just generally wondered about philosophy if i could and culture of the amc yeah. and to the extent that it,
4: whatever you would like to say about the whole approach going forward yeah look you know i think what's driving us on this real change and everything we do really is is about customers and that that is also about getting decarbonising the sector, Uh, you know, so like we actually see this reform as getting more solar in faster. And, you know, the other thing that's a real priority for Anna who, Collier, the new chair uh, and myself and the organisation everywhere I go talk about it is, you know, these essential system services which will allow uh, the system to decarbonise faster. When I talk to people, you know, the three things that I'm focused on are, you know, getting prices down, keeping the lights on and decarbonising the sector. So, I mean, I think states and territories, though coming back to that point, um, uh, you know, they're they're doing things uh, for a range of reasons. It's not, you know, I'm pretty sure it's not just the AMC. Uh, it, you know, it's it's also around uh, you know the response to COVID, driving economic growth. Uh, we've seen, you know, in the pandemic, states and territories really looking inward about what they can do, and they're responding to the needs of their citizens.
2: Indeed. And, you know, I mean, it's a a sort of a joke, but it's not a joke, and that we've got sort of subsidised solar and electricity, and sort of subsidised brown coal in Victoria, and sort of uh, subsidised consumption in the form of Portland Aluminium Smelter, Uh, you know. And yet, historically, the AEMC has had a very purist, uh, market driven approach. Uh, And again, it comes to a head in transmission. And I just wondered. Broadly speaking, you know, in a system that is going through a very big transition, is having an infinite number of more and more markets for every services, whether it's fast frequency or uh, the multiple roles that batteries can play, the separation between uh, uh, distributors and, and retailers and generators. I mean, versus a philosophy of a more I hate using the word planned, but a more, but it is more, when you set rules, they're plan, plans as well. I mean, I just wondered, what you know, do we have to have an end goal in mind, particularly when the technology is moving so fast and there's so much more overlap of roles? Just how you're thinking about all of that?
4: Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a that's a there's a lot in that question. I'd say, you know, the philosophy at the AMC at this moment in time is is what works you know, what's, what's going to make the difference for the issues now, but also look to the future. And, uh, you know, if you just picked a fully planned uh, way forward, you'd have a lot of problems because it is moving so fast, Technology is moving so fast, it's hard to get it right. And, you know, you're also right. You've got to think about those markets and how they actually interact with the real world. And what's the, you know, what's the complex system that, that operates underneath them. And so, you know, I think we're really focused on what's going to work well. And in that, that means, you know, we as an organisation are, are really about how do we collaborate, you know, with the market operator? How do we collaborate with the regulator? Uh, we're doing a lot of work with the Energy Security Board around that post 2025 design. And also, uh, you know, industry and consumers, uh, it, you know, when I'm talking about essential system services, like we, we need input from from industry and also from community to get those things right.
2: And and I'll just ask one more question generally. I mean, there's no carbon objective in the national electricity objective in the the main law. And yet, you know, and we talk about business having a a shadow carbon price, but it seems to me the regulatory system works under a shadow carbon system, uh, whether that's AEMO uh, or you've mentioned that it's something that's in in the AMC's uh, thinking. I'm asking a should question here. Would, do you think, personally, or professionally, uh, or in your role, that it would be better if there was a carbon objective that was more explicit, somehow or other, in some form?
4: I don't, to be honest. And this is this is my opinion. I don't think you need it at this moment in time, like because like we're fully focused on the transition because it's it's just happening at such a rate or not, David. I mean, you know, like uh, you're going to see coal plant exit the system. Uh, faster than was anticipated a few years ago. And, you know, we we are, uh, you know, like neck deep in, how do we get the system right in time to get that transition working for everybody? You know, at the big end of town, you know, when those coal-fired power stations leave the system, but also for consumers who are voting with their feet uh, and getting this new technology on. So you've got those two things happening at the same time. And, you know, to be honest, uh, you, 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 we don't need it in in making rules uh, that are looking at that transition.
3: Just wondering how you were actually sort of looking at that transition in the, in the sense of um one as, as David mentioned the technology is changing so fast. How are you actually designing these new rules, or how are you thinking about them in terms of you might sort of try and lock in a okay, that technology here is 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 what it is, and and this is the way we can sort of frame the new rules and. Um, and market design around that, but we know it's going to change very, very quickly. Are we ensuring um, that we're going to have enough flexibility in these new market rules to be able to adapt to that, or will we be locked into a, you know, an old paradigm you know, within a couple of years of, of these new rules being put into place?
4: Yeah, uh, look, we're really alive to that. I think, uh, you know, Anna, when she she speaks publicly as the chair, talks about you know the flexibility in the rules and thinking about you know dealing in what is a really complex complex environment uh and wanting to have flexibility and adaptability in that which is easy to say and harder to do it is really difficult and i think the other thing we don't want to do at the commission though is wait around and go uh look you know let's wait and and come up with this perfect solution we need to be making you know changes that we think at this moment in time are going to benefit the system with an eye on you know where do we want to head over the long term which is why these real changes are really important, and the work we're doing with the Energy Security Board on that post 2025 work with Kerry Schott, uh and those other Energy Security Board members are uh, is really important too. And that's why we will look to that when we're making these changes. This, the changes that we're announcing today are really good platform for more solar PV, more batteries, and more EVs to come into the market.
2: And just on and just on that, you know, it's uh, one of the things that uh, we most people forecast is that you know and in fact electricity consumption has been falling which always uh, uh, makes things difficult I mean if you exclude the behind the meter sector you know because um, say networks are allowed to collect a set amount of revenue but if the uh, volume going through them is falling the price goes up so it makes getting costs down so it'd be great if electricity volumes were going up and most of us think that's going to happen through um, you know, like electric transport, energy is the biggest, uh, con- uh, transport is the biggest consumer of energy in Australia. Uh, and and um, so networks could be providing, you know, like electric uh, charging points on streets and things. But there's certainly, you know, like the rules could be designed to really think well ahead instead of just behind the game. Uh, ben, that's what I'm, you know, uh, are you thinking hard enough about where things actually will be, so that the rules are set up in advance rather than falling behind.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, that's the intention. That's the intention with this reform. Like, there's an incentive there for batteries and EVs uh, in these in these proposed rule changes when they come through. Certainly, uh, you, know, uh, I, you know, in talking to energy ministers, all energy ministers we've spoken to at the Commission are really interested in EVs, and how do you get that load in? But in a way... That benefits everybody. I think that's the important thing. Whether you've got an electric vehicle or not, you want to integrate it into the system in a way that uh, if you've got if you've got the EV, you're getting a great deal, but all customers get the benefit of that integration, as you point out. Like load more load into the system done well. Uh, will be great for everybody.
3: Can I ask just a couple of very quick questions about the mechanics yep. of this new reform? So one of the big criticisms is that big coal and gas generators don't pay um, for um, exports into the grid, so why should households... Snowy Hydro, for instance, is arguing that its Snowy 2.0 pumped hydro, the transmission for well, that should be paid by the consumer um, and not by itself. Um, how do you respond to that?
4: I mean, big generators do pay, like they do pay to connect. And they do pay when there's disturbances on the system. So, uh, you know, there's the cause of pays element of that. So they pay in a different way. And the thing about these reforms is actually, we're gonna go out, well, networks are gonna go out and consult about uh, what's the incentive and what is the possible payment. So I just don't think that's right, that uh, big generators, you know, don't pay for connection or they don't pay when there's an issue on the grid, when they connect.
3: You mentioned electric vehicles. What's in it here for people who have electric vehicles? Are you presuming you're trying to facilitate the way um, that electric vehicles will be able to sort of get with the grid and send back into the grid? Is that yeah. you know, there's some sort of fee for them or um, just sort of paying down the groundwork so that can be done? Can you explain what this means for EV owners?
4: No, that's that's exactly right. So what, what this does is allows networks to give that two-way pricing so currently they don't have that ability to actually pay you you get your feed-in tariff from the retailer but the network can pay you now for once this goes through uh, and the consultation's done for uh getting you know charging your ev at the time uh that uh they want you know they want you to use your solar in the middle of the day charge your ev up at then and then actually get it back into the grid when the grid needs it so uh, there's potential double incentive there for people with batteries or electric vehicles.
3: And then just one final question on this then. So in what circumstance then would um, solar households not be paying an export tariff um, in, um, under this rule change?
4: Yeah, well, we see we see uh, and uh, that the network should give customers options and that you know it would be good if customers had the ability to opt out. But the risk with that, so you know if you do opt out, uh, of, of whatever is designed is, you might not get your solar into the grid when you want it. That's the thing we point out that this, this you know, congestion, uh, it it would be great to say that the grid can handle it, but it wasn't set up for two-way flows. And, you know, uh, I think AMO predicting 50% of households in the next 10 years will have solar on their roofs. We want to get ahead of that, as you pointed out, let's get ahead of that. Let's have people able to connect what they want, when they want, uh, which is more equitable than what's happening now when you know somebody who goes to Connect gets told, actually, you can't export anything.
2: I, I agree with that, but I, I just... Uh, I'm, and it's easy for me as a spectator to say this, but I wonder if there's enough imagination being used here because I, I, I have this concept where networks uh, and communities, and I, I want to stress that, and I want to stress again that networks talk to retailers. They don't directly talk to households. And, and I see that as a as a problem. Uh, uh, that you know, when you think about community batteries and little think about streets as kind of network microgrids that are resilient and uh, providing system services like frequency and inertia. Uh, and you might have household batteries and, as I say, community batteries and electric vehicles, and it's it's all a little hub. And i, I you know that's one way it could go. And I wonder yeah. if just evolving the rules piece by piece is. You know, is there an end goal in mind?
4: Yeah, I, you know, I, 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 look, I, th- I think I'd agree. I'd agree with everything you said, David. That is the end goal, and so this is this is this is the start of that reform journey. And you know, the Energy Security Board have got post 2025 papers coming out in the middle of the year that that'll that'll set that light on the hill of where we want to go and how things fit in. But we're talking to them, so like we we know that we're doing these real changes now because it actually takes a bit of time for this to come in if you want to go out and consult people. Uh, but, uh, you know, we think this is a foundational piece, uh, which then more reform will come over the top and work with.
3: Just to leave you on, I've just got very, two very quick questions, Ben. Um, when do you expect these tariffs to be implemented? You said there's going to be a lot of talk between networks um, and the consumer groups and things like that. So what are we talking about next year year after?
4: yeah like it's it's still a few years away uh and that's why we need to do it now so uh drafts out today final will be out in june and if it goes through then there's at least you know 12 to 24 months of consultation before anything happens
3: and just one final question and some on this before um big change in leadership at the amc um over the last year or so new chairman new chief executive um how different is the organization now to what it was two years ago
4: uh, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't here two years ago, but I would say, like, there's a great energy in the AMC. It's a really purpose-driven place, and and we're, we're all really excited to be doing our bit for the energy transition. Uh, leaning in, it's complex and hard, but everyone here uh, really wants to do their bit for consumers and, and uh, make sure that everyone benefits from that transition and we get on and do it.
3: Ben, thank you very much for joining us.
4: Thanks so much for having me. Anytime. Love to come back.
1: And that was Ben Barr from the Australian Energy Market Commission. David, look, as I mentioned beforehand, um, the industry is divided over this. Um, Been pushing for a tax for a long time. Um, This seems to be some compromise agreement. Still, some people think it's outrageous and think it's a really bad idea. Others think it could be good if it solves bigger problems, such as the restrictions on solar exports. I think the most perceptive comment might have been from um uh, jack gilding from the tasmanian renewable energy group who just said look it's probably a dumb idea but it might not have that much of an impact on people mainly because it's probably a few years away it probably won't hit many people that hard and it may actually just pave way for a slightly more efficient grid
2: i think that's a very uh, fair summary i would say the fact that it hit the mainstream media so much indicates just how far Um, Rooftop solar has come, you know, with uh, probably over a quarter of households in Australia having it now and and certainly more coming and and the rate of growth being very high and employment in the industry, rooftop industry is quite high as well. Uh, The second uh, point I'd make is that uh, in the end, it's a a rule that divides opinion as to its uh, impact. Uh, but uh, the question is whether these piecemeal uh, rules by themselves are actually going to get us to our, to our end goal, uh, and even if we have defined that end goal, and that's think that's the um, problem for the AEMC, it's uh, making r- rules on the, on the fly to solve problems after they emerge uh, because we, you know, we don't have a shared view of what the ultimate outcome is.
1: It was interesting having that conversation with Ben and We just sort of both sort of uh, prodded him with questions about the culture of the AMC and whether they've actually kind of caught up with the technology. The criticism over the last few years has been that they haven't and they haven't kept up to date. Um, his words sound quite promising. They're very keen to make this work. They're very keen to understand that the energy system is moving to distributed energy. What was your sort of feeling from that?
2: Well. It was, you know, he spoke very well for a chief executive. Uh, you know, I, I think we're going to get in the sense that it wasn't uh, prescriptive about this is how it's going to be. It's more in a uh, we're going to try and let the industry work trying to preserve the best ideas that markets and the best idea about markets is that people work things out for themselves. You know, that, that that's what markets ultimately are about. That's why we like them in a democracy. They give people choices and and things like that, and, and, and we love that rather than a prescriptive system. But at the same time, uh, when we're going through such a big transition and such a lot of tra- technology change, that, that there is a need to listen very hard, uh, and and to have, I suppose, something of a holistic vision, as I keep saying. So I, I'm I'm encouraged, but it's hard for us all.
1: Well, that's right, yes. Well, let's think about a couple of the other things that have been talking about over the last week, and that's battery storage. Interesting to see AGL talking quite a lot about it. Um, they talked about their um, their um, battery storage in Luoyang. They put the application through for that. They also talked about Torrens, a final investment decision, but it's not going to be nearly as big as that they were saying it was going to be. It's only going to be one-hour storage, at least in the interim, rather than four hours. That seems to be very much about... about um, Seems to be very much about the state of the market and the fact that the market's just not really embracing four hour storage right now.
2: Well, it's the economics. Even though uh, we think that the unit cost of a four hour battery is only about two thirds of the unit cost of a one hour battery, uh, at the same time, the revenue opportunity for a four hour battery is a lot smaller. And that's the basic problem is that although people can see that ultimately there's going to be need for a lot of firming power. Right now in the market, there's an excess of firming power. There's too much thermal generation, too much gas, uh, and, and probably there's going to be too many batteries. I mean, we see batteries as a, as, a, as a wonderful enabler, you know, basic building block of the whole uh, grid of the future. I don't think there's any doubt about that. They just do all the things like inertia, et cetera, in, in, in such a short space of time. But at the right at this very second, the total uh, uh, revenue opportunity for all of those things is, is only about $80 million or something per year. Uh, and that's not enough to justify, you know, like a, 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 a four hour battery is, is like uh, uh, over 100 megawatts is like, uh, I don't know, uh, 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 over 50, 60 million dollars, you know. And, and so we can't justify a lot of them. Giles, I think the other thing is, um, uh, but we're still getting lots of batteries. I mean, I think that Warwick Johnson uh, pointed out through Sunwiz that, in fact, you know, household battery battery take up with 30,000 last year, and he's looking for a similar number this year, it's actually accelerating. And there are a lot of utility-scale battery announcements. So there's a lot more to be said about that. But uh, the other thing, Giles, I think that I I, I attended a uh, gas and hydrogen conference this week, and I was just struck in Queensland by how serious, in a way, Uh, Both Origin and also Stanwell are with two competing projects, which I estimate would represent about seven billion dollars worth of investment if they were both to go ahead over the next couple of years, Uh, and also I suppose something like uh, over five six thousand megawatts of uh, of renewable energy that would that would be required, and the way that these have been. Justified because the economics just aren't going to be there. Essentially, Australia is going to take advantage of its historic trading relationships with uh, South Korea and Japan, and 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 those guys, the the sort of gas people over there, essentially uh, are going to stand up and take a get a subsidy from from their respective countries, and then the producers here in Australia are going to get a subsidy to uh, and. Uh, And who cares about the ultimate economics right now if you can get everyone to give you a subsidy? And let's face it, everything is subsidised these days. um, uh, Then away we go. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well it's going to be interesting to see I just hope that they're going to be green hydrogen only and none of this um, blue or grey or whatever other colour hydrogen they're proposing, David look I think we're going to wrap it up for there, um, I'd just like to apologise to the listeners for the sound quality uh, particularly in the interview with the Australian Energy Market Commission, I've been travelling this week and I think I did something bad to the microphone so it was the laptop um, that recorded me not a uh, very fancy microphone so if I sound a bit tinny that's the reason and um, non-deliberate editorial strategy on our part. But David, um, we'll be back again next week. We've actually got a really good lineup of speakers coming up. Um, there's lots to talk about. It's gonna be fascinating to see what AGL unveils next week, I think, with their new strategy, um, very much based around the rooftop solar revolution that we've been seeing. Just like to say thank you very much to our um, sponsors, Pylon and Evergen. Thanks to you, David. Thanks to all our listeners. Thanks to our producer, and goodbye for now.
0: Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen